Welcome to Those Who Do Podcast, a podcast about people, their passions, their vocations, their interests, and their lives. I'm Zach Barclay, here with the Joan Jet to my Pat Benatar, Tony Forsmark. Tony Saltzman is a television writer and producer known for Dexter Newblood, Goliath, Feed the Beast, and Nurse Jackie. Most importantly, Tony champions the idea of collaboration in the creative process and thrives in a writer's room and team environment. He takes true joy in the success of others and was immediately open to sharing his successes and struggles in the entertainment industry. Tony's Forsmark and Saltzman take some time to give a rundown on the reasons for the Writer and Actor Guild strikes and what the respective groups hope to secure in aims of creating a working environment for writers and actors to own their intellectual property and likenesses as well as maintain job security and living wages for both camps. Lots of laughs, a good deal of information, and some insights into the creative process that may run against what most people think of the entertainment industry. This is Those Who Do, Collaboration and Creativity with Tony Saltzman. I'm not going to do a Japanese accent for if we're with any. So you were an accident. Are we recording this? Well, I mean, that was orig- the original plan. I'm nervous now. Do it for our own nervous. benefit. That would be fine. You can or can't. It's up to you it's whether so you want to put you. the headphones on. You are wearing, you are wearing them this, this episode. <laughs> I am? Yes. Why? Well, because you were all over the mic last episode. I couldn't keep you on mic. You know, uh, I, I, mean, I, I can't really, hear myself anyway. That's so. because I haven't turned them on yet. <laughs> so I don't think it, it, that's not working. It's not working. There you go. Is this on? Yes, it's on. Stop that. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Those Who Do. Today, uh, we have Tony Saltzman with us. Thank you, Tony, for joining us. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Thanks I'm, for inviting me. I'm super excited to hear about uh, uh, your side of of uh, the entertainment industry because it's something I know nothing about. So that I like learning and that's exciting to me. I don't know how much Tony... Tony to the right of me has told Tony to the <laughs> left of me um, about the premise of this show. Um, but the idea behind it is um, basically that everything that makes you you mm-hmm. is what contributes to what it is that you do. Sure. So we want to learn about not just about, you know, what you've done in the industry and stuff, mm-hmm. although that's an interesting. Right. What's far more interesting is who you are. OK, right. Cool. So so we're going to start. All the way back with what little Tony was interested in uh, when he was five. And, well, uh, I was... Dinosaurs is what you were interested in, like riding them to no, and fro. Uh, wooden hoop, thank you. Wood, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. stick. Yeah, I, we're going to have to come up with some kind of a system, aren't we? No. No? No. no. Do you want to be Anthony today? I, I, I just won't use my name. Okay, well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. We'll do that. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll crotchety old man and Tony. <laughs> All right, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, who will I be? I mean, you've been trying to answer that question for about 54 years, haven't you? <laughs> 36, thank you. So that's what we're going to do today. Today's okay, just cool. going to be a conversation. It's not an interview. Right. It's just three guys hanging yeah. out and having a chat because uh, so far that's been the best so way So what did it. you do and why did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Starting at the beginning. At the dawn of time, there was a great flash and bang. So where are you from originally? I'm from L.A. My dad was a TV writer. Um, I grew up in Westwood, right by UCLA. Yeah, and I had a much older brother and sister, 16, Uh 18 years older. Oh, wow. And I say that because part of my journey was being in a rock band for five years after college. And that was because when I was four years old, one of my earliest memories was sneaking down to my garage and seeing my brother's band practice. Right. And it was like, 
what? Like it was amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was life shattering, earth shattering for me as a little kid um, to hear super loud, you know, kind of punky rock oh, music yeah. coming out of the amps. Now, as a, as a guy who has kids, like I, my, my youngest boy and my oldest girl are 14 years apart. Yeah. So what, how'd that happen? What was, what was the deal there? It, I, yeah, a lot of people uh, were rude and asked, like, so you were an accident? Like, they, like, <laughs> they just assumed that. Um, apparently, my mom, like, decided as she was hitting 40, like, she was like, I want to have one more kid now. Yeah. And my dad was, like, dragged into that <laughs> process. And, um, you what? and um, then, uh, yeah. And then she had me when she was 42, and my dad was 50. Oh, wow. So yeah. I had much older parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and there's a lot to be said for that, honestly, because they probably were able to make a bunch of mistakes with your siblings and then they could come in with you and be like, now we really know how to do it. Let's my brother and sister are like, oh, yeah, your parents like as if they're like different <laughs> right. yeah, set of parents. parents. Yeah, are, those are not yeah. what yeah. we had yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the boy, yeah. the boys actually uh, one of my oldest boy one about two weeks ago. I was on one of my daughters about something. And she says, why are you always so mean to me? And he looks at her. He goes, hey, look, man. You get medicated, Zach. I didn't get medicated, Zach. It was a whole different world where I came from. <laughs> so did you find, I, I mean, did it, did the relationship seem like a, a sibling relationship or did it seem more like just a, a couple older people that. to look up to? Yeah, it was, well, my brother hung around the house for like off and on. Like he'd live with a girlfriend in an apartment and then come back. Because he and was like, uh, uh, in a rock band and it had no yeah exactly he was trying like he was he was in a rock band he was trying to be an actor he was trying to be a writer he was working at agencies he was doing all the things before he became a psychologist and so he was like a mix of an older brother and a second dad and like a young fun second dad or uncle or something um he was the one who were like our parents were like don't drink he was like just don't drink and drive you know what i mean he was that guy (laughs) we had that very conversation yesterday (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and then my sister was like married and off with her own home by the time i was nine she she had her first kid my brother did too actually so i was an uncle at nine years old wow yeah so anyway so that was almost probably the the niece or nephew was probably closer to sibling feel than, yeah yeah absolutely yeah my my uh, daughters the, they became uh aunts at eight and five so you know they just run around my my youngest daughter and my grandson will be in elementary school at the same time so that's oh my be gosh wild. that's amazing well, i mean my wife uh, her sister is 20 years older so similar, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's the dynamic. It's changed as they've gotten older, but for a while it was like, yeah, I was just a second mom. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and usually when you hear those stories, like in my case, I mean, you know, technically the, the boys are my stepsons, you know, so that's, that's a little bit more traditional, I guess. Um, you know, so I'm, it's always really interesting to hear when it's like shared parents, yeah. but that huge gap in there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously you weren't around for when they were raised, so you can't really speak to like how your parents differed, but I, I bet it was a different experience. Oh, I think yeah. so. <laughs> we had some conversations about it. Yeah. <laughs> Did they give you crap? Are you the, are you the baby and treated as such? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. <laughs> and you have no problem with that. No problem. Why, why would you? No. That's awesome. So you did the rock band thing for a while. You said what? Four years you did the rock I think band thing. Five years out of college. I yeah. was for with no. What was what was college? But what, what college was, was Brown, um, and I was doing playwriting. So I was okay. writing. Okay. I wrote my first play in high school when I was sixteen. I wrote a one act play. It was super fun and like weirdly 
successful in like a weird like it was so silly but like and i really co-wrote it i I think that started my process i I always realized i love to collaborate Mm -hmm. and i had a couple friends who were very funny to me and i was like i want to write a play can you guys do it with me basically and and you'll be in it and then we got it was basically like a a send-up of of our own high school so like we got the actual stoner to play the stoner and right. like we got yeah. the actual jock like the captain of the football team to play the dumb jock how do you feel about that he was <laughs> everyone was so game and so funny and some of them weren't actors like sure. and they were so good and it ended up being so funny and it was this it was like people had very serious plays they were putting on and our play was this dumb thing about who egged my car so it had a story which was like i know one of you Ask, can I swear on oh, this? Oh, absolutely. One yeah. of you fuckers, like, you know, egged my car that's in the parking lot, and I don't know which one did it. And I think my dad was the one who actually came up with this, which was perfect because he wrote, like, he wrote Columbo and Perry Mason and stuff back yeah. in the day. Mm-hmm. So he come up, came up with the twist that they all did it. So, like, it's sort of an investigation where he interrogates them right. one by one, and then the very end, the twist is that they all did it together because he's an asshole and he learns a moral lesson at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but it was super funny and outrageous and we were like trying things on the spot like so a guy like pulled was like supposed to pull out something to show he wasn't there and it he pulls out a dirty condom by accident like a used condom by accident. so it was like we were really like pushing the envelope right. and that was like an improv thing we figured out like on day night too so by the third night i it's like the most successful thing i've ever done in my life honestly <laughs> because by the third night it was like standing room only like it was like you know and and there were these plays that were important and meaningful plays that other people were putting on we put on this bullshit by the third night it was like 300 people were packed in the auditorium to see it because they all heard how funny it was well, that's fantastic and, uh, so that was my that was my like it was all downhill from there after <laughs> after, after that experience. But did you hear about yeah who yeah. made my car yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean there's something to be said for like if, if something is just a fun experience like what better way to kickstart your trajectory and just being like well, they're all going to be this fun, right? Totally. Right? Right. right. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, having a bad, I, I think that's why when I was involved in theater, like, I never really got chased out of it because I never really had a bad experience. And there are plenty of them out there, but I mean, a lot of the people who worked with me had a bad experience, I think, but that was because I was kind of an asshole and I didn't <laughs> learn until later to grow up and be nice to people. But like, I personally didn't feel like I had a bad experience. So and there, that's a lot to be said for that. And just having fun. You know, there's so much to be said for there, there was actually a learning experience in that. You're right, yeah. because it was like because we were just doing it without any preconceptions, yep. not trying to do anything, just actually trying to make each other laugh as hard as we could. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. I, there was no expectations. I was like, that guy's not even an actor like that. Right. You know? And we just did it. Then like it worked like it, and then I've tried things where I've worked so hard at something and it doesn't land at all. Right. Like, right. You know what right. I mean? mm-hmm. And and this, the brilliant, the beautiful like experience of collaboration. I've always I love writers rooms. I'm jumping, but like, I love writers rooms because they're really collaborative. And I'm always, I've always had that ability since that first thing to like, just have fun collaborating and not be a big ego about it and just go, Oh, that's the funniest idea. Let's do that. Like, I don't care if it's my idea or not. Well, that probably makes you a lot easier person to work with. And somebody that people they're happy to have worked with you because no matter what you do, whether it's in the industry or just life in general, people their egos man like even completely outside the entertainment industry it's crazy how much the world is hampered by ego and people not being willing to give credit to somebody else or like oh yeah that was a great idea man like i'm a i'm a supervisor and one of the main things i do is somebody will come and be like hey way to go on that thing that wasn't my idea 
Like, that was his. He did it. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, he bought, he works under you. I was like, I give a shit. That wasn't my idea at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't, I, I yeah. would have screwed it up. Like, thank God he was here, you yeah. know? And that just helps other people. So, man, I bet people tell stories of working with you and they're like, he was really collaborative and didn't fuck with us. And like, he didn't take credit. That wasn't his. Like, that's. But he was a Laker fan. Yeah. He is? <laughs> I didn't. No, I'm just, Can that's the, that, you know, <laughs> there's a caveat there. But, you know. I'm a Magic Johnson chat. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's an important tool to have no matter what area you work in totally. is to be gracious and, and you just don't hear that very often. So what a, I'm proud of you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so did, did this, the, so playwriting at Brown, did that take a backseat for those four years or were you still kind of doing it while you were uh, playing? Uh, music yeah uh i actually uh the true story of it is that at one point my band sat me down and said you can't be slash and aaron sorkin (laughs) you have to pick (laughs) Uh, so they wanted you to stop using cocaine (laughs) (laughs) or start one of the one of the the two it's like pick a lane you know Uh, yeah, so uh, I was still writing, and then they got me to put it, put the typewriter away, away for a while. Okay, <laughs> uh, and make and make music my full time creative. Experience. What type of music? It evolved. I will argue that our first incarnation, when we first got together out of college, found this bass player on the street. Basically, wild story. But anyway, there are weird things that happen. I believe this. I've been reading this Rick Rubin book, and I'm obsessed with it. But like he talks about how it it's almost like a spiritual God thing where like when you really start going into art, like you let the art lead and then like the universe will follow. So we had this idea to do a band and weird synchronistic things happen to put that band together. You've had that experience too. We talked to, we talked to Joe Stillman and he talked about serendipity a lot and how you have to be willing to follow serendipitous moments. And if you ignore them, you're really doing yourself a disservice. So that sounds very similar. Like, it's- like the like the, the the story was we couldn't find a bass player, and we literally were outside posting ads. And this is before internet was like a huge thing, right? So we posted ads in front of a Guitar Center, and this Japanese dude was walking by, and he looked at it, and for some reason, I'm not. I'm a really like I'm a shy shyer type of person. Like I don't like to go up to random people. But like something in me told me, like, I'm going to go up to this guy and ask him if he's a bass player, which I would never do usually. (laughs) The guy spoke like barely any English. And I'm like, yo, like, you know, like, are you a bass player? And he was like, I'm I'm not going to do a Japanese accent for a fear of any, but he could barely speak English and was like, no. And he said, I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I play bass. I don't have a bass here. I'm from Japan. I don't have a bass. And we happen to have our friend's bass and bass amp in our studio because we were trying to like use it sometimes. And so I was like, come anyway, which was weird because I was like, this guy's probably not for real, you know? Right. He's not. Yeah. And then he came in and he, he was like fucking flea. Like it was unreal. <laughs> he was like by far the best musician. Yeah. <laughs> so that was serendipitous. And we played with him for five years and he was only supposed to be in America for one. And he stayed for five. At first we were very Jane's Addiction influenced. That was me. And, and I thought that was our best incarnation. And we were all sort of doing our own things. And then he... Learned a lot from it, but he took over everything in terms of like, because he was the best musician and, and the oldest guy. He was like five years older than us. And he sort of put us through boot camp on like how to become good musicians and have better mm-hmm. rhythm and all that stuff, which was great. But he also took over everything and like our sound moved toward more like punk rock and metal, like 
System of a Down is like the closest thing I would say. Sure. Okay. Who I love, yeah. um, but I don't think it ever worked as well as when we sounded a little more like James. Right. Okay. And since he was the bass player, none of you got laid because you're always following. What? <laughs> what? No comment. <laughs> I got I got a good buddy that's a bass player, and I always give him shit. I was like, well, like, I mean, it must have sucked never getting laid. <laughs> she and the drummer hanging out together, all the lead singer and rhythm. It was so much less glamorous than what I thought a rock band would be. We, we just we actually I don't think I've ever worked this hard for less in my life. Actually, yeah, I try being a stand up comic sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's even worse. My I, wife is a stand up comic, yeah. so I, it's very similar. Actually, I, going out and doing shows and oh god, I, I heard a I heard one guy at I'll never forget it. Laughs in um, Tucson. I was there doing an open mic, and this dude's like, "If you ever have a stand up." comic tell you he's getting laid by being a stand-up comic that man's a liar musicians get laid have you ever heard anybody leave a club humming your jokes I was like <laughs> yeah he's right he's 100 right that'll stick with me forever so uh what brought you back then to writing yeah uh the band finally gave up on themselves because <laughs> we were going nowhere and i immediately jumped back into writing because that's always what i felt i i had the f- strong feeling at right out of college that I wasn't the person I wanted to be to write. I knew I could try to do like something, but it wouldn't be what I wanted to do ultimately. So you is, uh, didn't feel I didn't you have the experience. Right, I, yeah. I like yeah. I hadn't lived like Did you do any uh were you the lyricist or um I did some lyricist. I did some I did a lot of the like music for sure. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so it was still a great creative outlet. It was it was an amazing experience. But yeah, I definitely had that feeling of like, I, I just haven't lived. I don't know. Well, I mean, that, that it's actually a very adult to to in self-aware to be like, I, I'm not there yet. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Getting that experience so that you can build on it. I mean, that, that happens for actors as well. It's like, yeah. uh, you know, especially if you went to college and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing some old king from Shakespeare. And I'm like, that's that's not, you know, it's yeah, always totally. been my thing since college is like don't have them do Shakespeare because they have no clue. You know, you can try to put it on and that's fine. And it's good. I guess college is a good, good place to try it, but it, you really don't have any of the experience to be able to like, Oh yes, I am this old King who has fought many battles, you know? <laughs> and it's really just, you're basically doing a, a send up of someone else doing Shakespeare right? because you have yeah. no frame of reference. You have, and it's like, what. What am I basing this on? Like, mm-hmm. not only is it 200 years old, but I'm also not a really a grown up yet. You know, like, right. I don't, I don't yeah. get it. You know, yeah. it- oh, 100%. When I went back and I, I was talking to the head of the department, I said that, you know, if there's one thing I would say after coming back, so after so many years, is I would, would have liked to have done more age appropriate mm. work. Because when I come out here, I'm not doing anything that's not fit for me. You right, know, they're right. not going to be casting me as any of those other things. So I'd rather have the, in my back pocket the ability to be me. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Point of reference. Like you got nothing. You yeah. Got, yeah. As a 21 year old college student, you're like, hey, now, now play a 50 year old king. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am a. Uh, yeah, a 20 year old 50 year old please bring me this white shoe polish and i'll puff my chest out of it. i think that's pretty much all we got so you started writing again with a goal in mind or were you doing spec scripts what were you what, um um yeah it was uh i think i was trying i mean 
I, I, I always wrote, like I, I've always had that from like, I don't know, around college age, I like felt uncomfortable if I wasn't writing. Mm -hmm. And so it was uncomfortable for me in the band a little bit, but I at least was doing music. So I was writing music. So it still felt okay. But the minute the band stopped, I just started writing. I, it's around that period. I wrote a book. It's like a middle grade book. So I wasn't even like limiting. I wrote a book at one point. I know I was writing film a lot. because That's what I always loved and thought I was like going to be like an indie filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And then I was always trying other stuff too. So then I was writing pilots too. And I was writing comedy, a lot of comedy back then, I think. And then, uh, and then I got an acting class and that's where I met you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and where was your dad at in, in that, that process? He, um, he passed away when he passed away before my, I started a career and it's kind of moving because he like, I remember my sister saying when I was about 30, let's say, I don't know, give or take, mm -hmm. um, she like, she asked my dad, she was like, are you going to tell him like, give it up now? Like, let's move on and like, you know, get a job, like you know what I mean? yeah. let's stop, yeah. stop tutoring part time and we're trying to write, you know? And he was like, no, he's going to make it. He's a great writer. And that's touching to me. And I also weirdly, again, there's like spiritual weird synchronistic thing, but like this, when he passed is when my career took off. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, but like, there's always who, that feeling who, who, right. of, of like someone from above, like helping. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna poo poo that idea. No, at all. I mean, yeah. it, like, if, if, it's, if you feel it, it's happening, regardless of whether it's just the what he left you with that's right. helping you succeed, and right. you're having that moment, or there's literally a you know influence happening at the moment. Do you have a desire to write for Peter Falk? Is that, <laughs> that come to you? <laughs> Do you sign everything? Just one more thing. <laughs> just, 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 just one more thing. <laughs> oh, so when you when you think of of life milestones, you know, mm -hmm. you come back to writing. You're doing that full time. You yeah. know, you love it. You know, that's that's yeah. your passion. Yeah. Um. What What do you feel that the first milestone that you reached was like? Hey, okay. Now I believe in me as much as my dad did. Like, when do I, when do you? Uh, so the synchronistic things that happened, which were crazy, were my girlfriend at the time. It's, there's, there's a few synchronistic things that happen all around the same time. My girlfriend at the time, she wanted to be an actress. And I told her about an acting class because a friend recommended it. And that's Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Playhouse, right? Where I met. Tony. And uh, then sh we made a short film together because I was writing and directing little shorts. And so I, we made a short film together and she told me after the second one we made, you should get an acting class because you should learn how to work with directors. And I like got really mad at her for saying that <laughs> because I was super insecure. And, um, and then I was like, gosh, she's right. Like, and I got into acting class and I remember very clearly being like, I am such a fucking loser. Like, what am I doing with my life? Because I really felt it was a real bottom because then she broke up with me and she was like the one thing I had in my life. Right. Mm. And so I now I'm like, I'm such a loser. I've been broken up with like the last screenplay I wrote that I thought had some potential. No one likes it. I'm starting acting class. I'm not even an actor. Like I don't want to be an actor. Right. Like what is my life sucks. And um, in that acting class, I met my wife uh -huh. and I 
also met a friend who really loved the writing I was putting up because that, the whole point of going to acting class was to write and direct scenes. And, and it felt really good to write and direct scenes because then I could see it on stage, kind of like back in high school, right. and know, is it good? Are the jokes working? Is this working? Is it, are people intrigued by it? And I, I, and I remember they made me act for like three months first. And you know? why? And this is interesting because this, yes. is, this is, was part of the, the guy who started the Playhouse, Milton Gonzalez, was yeah. very about the collaborative process, mm-hmm. number one, but being a holistic artist. And so, what, so you can't just tell actors how to act. You have to know what it feels like to be the actor. Right. And right. so, and you can, you can tell the difference right now yeah. before and after. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it gave you tools of like, instead of just being like, do their line reading this way. It was like now yeah. tools of how like, okay, what's your evaluation? Meaning like, what are your stakes? You know, mm-hmm. like how, how high, what's your, your point of view? What happened right before the scene? Da, 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 all the stuff instead of, just saying, I'd like it more like this. You know right. I mean? Yeah. I need more blue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so during that time, I definitely was gaining confidence because I was getting, it wasn't just me writing in a vacuum and then sending out to an agent going, I like the writing, but no. And like going, well, fuck, what do I do with this? Like, I don't know how to, I felt like stuck. And I was definitely on the path of, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I started workshopping a script that was like a romantic comedy. Uh-huh. And I was like, we're going to make this ourselves. We're going to figure it out and we're going to make it ourselves. I'm still kind of sad I didn't do that. But during that period, my friend in class, who was probably 19 at the time, kept saying, God, I love your writing. Can I show it to my dad when you're done with your script? And I was like, sure. I didn't even push for any of this. That's why it's so synchronistic. Uh-huh. His dad was the line producer on Dexter. His dad was like, I don't want to read your friend's fucking script. <laughs> and he kept pushing in the way he can. And finally, he pulled it literally out of the trash. He was like, fine, I'll read the first 10 pages, and then I'm throwing it back in the trash. Don't ever ask me to do this again. Read the first 10 pages, was like hooked, and read the whole thing, and was like, okay, he's a good writer. I'm going to give it to my best friend, Clyde Phillips, who's the showrunner on Dexter. He had... He had, was not at that point because he quit after the first four years, the, arguably the great four years yeah. of Dexter. Anyway, and then Clyde reached out for me to be his assistant. That was how I got in the business. So that acting class brought me everything. And I felt like I was an absolute loser and idiot for going into that class. So right. take what lesson you will from that. But <laughs> we, we've talked a lot in the conversations that we've had so far about how being more well-rounded and having more than just a singular focus is so important. To, to being more marketable and just being more human. I think that's a good example. Like, you know, you were, you were so focused on writing. And then once you, y- your, your net grew wider and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to learn this from this. And then, oh, hey, now I'm meeting these yes. people. You know, it, it really does. It, it, again, we really like to point out how this applies to everybody and like being willing to make new friends, have new experiences, things like that. It's so important, you know, like, I live in Iowa, man, and I tell you, it, like, it's pretty myopic there. You know, what I mean, the friends that people have are the friends that they have. Once you're 35, you're not making any more friends. You're not picking up any new hobbies, nothing like that. There's a lot of miserable people, you know, and a lot of closed-minded people. So, like, regardless of whether you're in the industry or you're a factory worker at John Deere, if you open your mind to new things, it just makes your life so much more enriched and and. It, possibilities just present themselves like crazy. So 
I mean, that's a that's a good lesson to take from your story, I think, is that how much better things can be, you know, and it really took off for you. There's a there's a quote that I don't I don't even know. I think Carl Jung might have said it. I don't know. I've heard different people talk about it in different YouTube videos. But um, this idea that like the place you're most scared to go, but you feel like it could be good, like that's the gold. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a different thing to come into a group that you don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no growth where there's not a risk of failure. Yeah. You know, if, if there's no risk of failure, you're not going to, you're not going to get any better. You're not going to learn anything new. You're just, you, you're in your little spot where it's safe. Yeah. And I say that because for my entire life, I've stayed in my spot that was safe. You know, this thing is a new thing. Like mm -hmm. this is something that I finally decided we're going to go all in on this. And it helps that I have, that I have Tony who's just as excited about this project as yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, but I finally said, okay, look, yeah. The what now? <laughs> that tracks. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's a, there's a monetary risk. There's a time, you know, I've got a family, there's a time yeah. risk and all of that stuff I've used as my excuses in the past right? because there's a chance of failure. And if I, if I don't allow that to happen, there's no chance of failure. Now right. I'm choosing to fail. Well, I don't right. like that I don't right. idea anymore. Even at 44 years old, mm -hmm. I, I'm finally going, all right, I have to take a risk. Yeah. I have to go to LA for a weekend when I should be having a, a cookout with my kids. You know, right. I, I have to do that. I have to spend money on equipment. Yeah. And once you take that chance of failing, hopefully you'll fail up. You know? Good on you. Yeah. It, I, it's funny. I heard on, um, I believe it was on the shop at LeBron James show on HBO. Um, where they were talking, someone said something, I don't know if it was Braun or one of the other famous, very successful people on it. They said, I can almost chart how successful a person is going to be by how risk averse they are. And the more they're, they can actually just take risks and deal with the failure involved mm -hmm. in that, the more successful. Well, I mean, in, in, in the, in class, that's one of the things that, uh, Milton and the other teachers would, 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 you know, you're not doing it because it scares you go to where you scare yep. what scares you and you'll find a lot more that is going to be more interesting to everybody, including yourself. Cause you know, if it's comfortable, sure. It might be okay. But when you find that uncomfortability, that you're going through it, people will respect that. And know? to even further that teaching, like then once I did that class, I became comfortable because I made friends mm -hmm. and I started putting up work. People liked it. And then that was safe. But there was the whole part of the admin part of that, which mm -hmm. was really con confrontational for me, really confronting for me of and now how do I get my work out into the world and make a career right. of this? Mm -hmm. And it was all of that jobs involving that. So I did the things, the exercise, I, I got an admin thing and like right. group and like, I was doing things that were the hardest things for me were self-accounting. We're reaching out because mm. they were like, they immediately after a few weeks, they were like, don't ever put writing 10 pages or whatever it is. Like you do that anyway. That's not your goal. Your goal this week is to reach out to a professional and ask them to sit down for coffee and talk to them. Right. And it was so confronting. Like I hated yeah. that stuff. Well, I mean, and to have a little background, one of yeah. the, uh, the philosophies of the, the school 
uh, and and Milton was the three A's. And so it wasn't just acting. It was acting, attitude and administration. Administrate your career. You, you have to do that. You can't hope to be picked out of you know, a crowd. You have to go out and make it happen. Right. You know, and it, there's this whole adage of attitude monitors uh, success as, as well. You know, if you have a good attitude, that's a wide, wide aperture. Things will come out I'm for you. F- I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but so it wasn't just, OK, we're just going to do the scenes. You know, it, it, you, you got an admin group uh, and yeah. you held each other accountable for doing things each week that were for your career. Not like you said, not writing 10 pages, not memorizing a script. What did you do? For your career, yeah. yeah. Did were you in the uh, group with uh, David Crane? I and, was. Yeah, and you guys held on to that for a while. Are you still holding on? No, we're not still holding on, but uh, we held on for a while. And yeah, I remember approaching. That was scary to approach him because he. I, I actually laughed about that him the other day because I was like, dude, you like were badass. Like he just made a movie, independent movie, mm-hmm. and it was really good. And like I look younger than I am, especially then I looked younger. And so I came up and he was like, who's this fucking kid? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were all, yeah. he's pretty young, isn't he? <laughs> so yeah. It was I, like you and Nicole and David. Yes. Yeah. And, and it, I think it worked wonders. Your group did a lot of work out mm-hmm. of that group. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're bad. Nicole's badass. Mm-hmm. As is David and mark and it it did pay off because i i, I wrote letters to my like favorite people and got mm-hmm. like and they got to people like the duplass brothers like i remember writing a letter to them and getting it to them and i was so uncomfortable with that kind of stuff because i it confronted me like oh i i had that thing in my head of like well i'm a failure i'm not real like i'm just doing these things of like my well, little acting you know? I mean, I, and i'm horrible still i'm not good yeah. at self-promotion is a, yeah. is a hard thing for me fucking hard thing it is and but we're in a bad industry to not <laughs> self-promote and you know and i think the other thing is we all know the people that are way too far on the other scale and so sure. we can become i, I become averse to like i, I don't, don't want to be looked at like that yep yeah you know so i don't want to be them so I, I i thankfully like my wife keeps me in check i mean i, I don't think i'm ever in a in danger of going there but i'm like if anything you know her and my therapist were like no you got to start owning some stuff yes. you yeah. know you got to yeah <laughs> well we had that conversation uh when we were basically like kind of like blocking out what we were going to do with this and and you know i was looking at some of the people that we were going to talk to and i was like oh hey tony so and so we're having them come in and they worked with so and so maybe they can reach out to them he's like ah man i you know i, I don't i don't really want to like use my friends right. to reach out to other people and I'm like, how the fuck do you think this works, man? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> like, I was like, I get it. And, and good on you for being like a decent human being. Yeah. And you're not going to be begging. But like networking is a big deal. No, it and, is. And, and, I mean, know, it's like, and I get it. But it yeah. gets harder, though, because as I get older, you know, I wasn't the youngest guy in this class. And they're like, oh, we're going to go to these industry events or go up to them. I'm like, no, I don't. I, I, I got to go home. Remember remember. <laughs> The first time I came out here and we went to that industry party. Oh, God, that was horrible. It was so, so uncomfortable. uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it, it was something that was for independent, young independent filmmakers. And a friend of mine was was hosting it. So I said, I'll oh, just come. And I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so old right now. You know, and I, it's like. Uh, well, yeah, but you're, you're like you're there and you're like, I'm old, but at least I'm in the industry. I'm like, I'm old and not in the industry. <laughs> like they're waiting for me to steal somebody's purse <laughs> or a roofie yeah. a girl or something like I got to get out of here. This is weird. 
and while admin groups helped me with that, I, honestly, I'm going to say it again. My therapist helped me with a lot of these. Like I had this thing a couple of years ago, or I guess it was last year, where I, I was given an honor by Iowa State That's University. Just last year, just last November. Uh, and normally I would have just been like, thank you, gone to it. And she's like, no, you need to tell people. That's your, that's your, that's your, your, that was my admin goal. She said, you got to tell at least five people that this is happening, you know, and, and I did, but it still felt weird, but it it got felt less weird the more I did it. Yeah. And it worked out. I mean, you got to go talk to, as an alum, talk to the theater department and they're like, it was, it was a really, I mean, it was a neat deal. Like I, from the outside looking in, like it was really cool how they handled honoring you and like it really worked out. But yeah, it was, but I still had that imposter syndrome. Like, why, why am I here? Cause it, I mean, literally it was me for our department. And then there was these, there were these people like, well, he discovered this. He's a physicist who, like, <laughs> yeah, this guy's a general. You, well, I was, I, you know, I was on parks and recreation. That's, you know, like, you know what'd you do? <laughs> I was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that is another through line though that we've been seeing and and I think it's pretty common in creatives like creatives who are who are reasonable people like that imposter syndrome you know mm-hmm. they go into even if it's not a new situation like the, there's that that ebb and flow of am I am I really doing this am right. I qualified to do yep. this do people really like what I'm doing do I like what I'm doing yep and that's it's pretty <laughs> common you know and, 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 oh and, it's real and it's crazy you know to see to know, you know, like, look, like you've been doing this, you've established that you're good at it. Be easier on yourself, you know, yeah. and, and lean into, yeah. you know, some of the things that come to it. Yeah. But it's, it. not, it's nice to know that a lot of people experience that, you know, because it, it, that happens in other other lines of work, too. You know, I mean, there's plenty of, of architects I, I, and everything else that are like, I don't know if I'm really qualified to design this building you know it's like well you well, are I can tell you that there are people that I know that are on TV shows like they're regulars and like one of my friends came back and he was doing the show and he wasn't getting any feedback from the director or the showrunner and, and they've been going for a couple of weeks and he's like am I doing okay am I do I still have it I you know because he's getting no feedback one way or yeah. another mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and that's somebody who's been on TV for 20 years, you know, he's like, it doesn't never necessarily go away, but but it's how you handle it. Yeah. Just like anything else, acknowledge it, work through it and grow from it. Like I think is huge. So your first, your, your, your first moment where you're like, okay, I can acknowledge that this is successful for me is, is the acting class. You're going, all right, I can see where this is driving me. No, no. All right. All right. I mean, I really until because, again, it's that thing of like I worked. I don't know. I wrote for 20 years without ever getting paid for it. And every time I'd put something out there, the agent be like, oh, there's some good writing here. And I friends would love it. You know, whatever. No, we're not going to take you on. So I was like, there's some hidden key that I don't have the formula for. I don't know. Seems like it's always about serendipity. It really does. Cause it's like, I've been doing the same thing. And then suddenly, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 This person saw it or it was, mm-hmm. the sun was out this day. So it's easier to, you know, yeah. yeah. I, and so the, to finish the story, I, so I was writing in class, doing this rom-com wanted to make that. And then was like, well, I got to get funding for that. Well, what do I do? And again, confronting, like, how do I do that? And uh, I met, I was talking, you know, just about it because that's all I was. I was obsessed with working on that 
Beecher wrote and rewrote and put up all the scenes and shot shorts of them and all that. And it was cool stuff. And then uh, my, I somehow was talking to my cousin about it and he had a friend who was in the funding basis of business. What was the freaking term for that? Like he does <laughs> in the funding business, in the funny business. Like you made it sound like he works for the mob. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's an independent film. Like uh, there's a freaking term for it. Oh my God. Financier. Financier. Yeah. Like they're like a, Yes. I, 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 I'm blanking I'm as blank. well. I think they were literally had their name was like the term for it. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous of their company. It was, uh, it was, anyway, the point being, they got that script. And this is the only person I ever went to because I didn't know anyone else I could get it to or something. Mm-hmm. And my cousin got to this guy and he like loved it. And was like, I think we're going to, you know, do this. It was like, they're called the packaging company or something, you know, right. it was like yeah. something like that. And and met with them, talk about confronting, went in and it was, they were just like, yes, this sounds great. And who do you want in this? And we can try to get it out. And, like, and it was like the big, and do you want to direct? I'm like, oh, I want to direct it with my friends who you, I've been workshopping it with. Like they're great actors, you know, yeah. and they have this and it's based on their real story. And, you know, and then they were like, okay, cool, cool. You, well, you got to shoot this and I want to see it. Da, 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 da. And so we put in time in, we got uh, our mutual friend who is a, famous actor to like be in that short and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. and then I like still I regret how I handle all this but again you, it's so easy when you're told something's not working or something that you just believe them because they're the authority right and it's total so bullshit when I look back yeah, on there's it so many gatekeepers and, and it's in our industry it's it's kind of ridiculous how many for for writers for actors for every level it's like, like for actors, we have the agent who's a gatekeeper. You have the casting person and then the casting, you know, and then it goes to the director and then the studio. I mean, all those levels before you even get a yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was like, right. So it's right. tough. Right. So uh, they ended up being like, no, you can't do it. We're going to try to get A-list talent. I regret, but I said, okay. And we figured something out, some agreement, everyone was okay with it. And then for like the lead or whatever. And then they like fell and then they never did anything. Like then we had a couple conversations. I think like they came in when I came in, I was like, I'm going to direct it with them. And I had that confidence. They actually responded to that. And we're like, this guy's a visionary. Cause they respond to that. Right. You know? Yeah. And like, he's confident and stuff on stuff. But the minute I, it's like a, it's like a poker player. I like gave up my hand when they started questioning and I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Cause I, I that imposter syndrome, you know, like right. maybe it's not that good. <laughs> right. Maybe we should go yeah, with someone else. Saying, someone else should direct it. And then, then they lost interest in me. Luckily. And again, I totally admin is the reason like I had said no to being an assistant at this point. Cause I was like, no, I'm going to make my own feature and that's more important. That's my passion. I luckily, though, while I said that, because of admin, kept in touch in a very genuine, honest way. Mm-hmm. It was like, I really like you and I like really kind of want to do that. But this thing's happening. And and so then when I came back and was like, OK, this thing's not happening, I would still like to be your assistant. Is there any possibility? The timing worked out and I became an assistant and I ended up being an assistant on a writer's assistant on a Nurse Jackie. Mm-hmm. Actually, not a writer's assistant, the showrunner's assistant on Nurse Jackie. Um, and the timing totally worked it out. It has to be invaluable it was wild because again it's that thing of i was doing the same things i had been doing but then i'm like thrown in and suddenly it's like i mean and, and you're in with you know, you know the showrunner runs the show and so yes. you're you and were so i'm watching all inside into all, all aspects yeah. yeah i was a 
terrible assistant, but uh, <laughs> but and he'd be the first to say that. Um, but uh, but he 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 believed in me and 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 as a writer and stuff and. And I tried my best. He knew I was trying. But I got to see, yes, I got to see him go around and do the editing and do talk to actors and and be in the writer's room all the time and do do all of it. And it was it was totally invaluable. Was the the writer's room a new thing for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd never been in one. Yeah. And and it sucks to be an assistant in a writer's room when you're especially me who like I actually felt like I could throw in and right. I could write. Yeah, you just have to be quiet when you're there. You have to be yeah, quiet, yeah. but you're allowed to like speak up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But you can't sound good if you're in that position because you're overthinking everything and they're kind of there's just an unspoken thing and it's it's just happens. They're already enough writers, so they don't mm-hmm. want really yeah, someone else like, talking. And that's no shame on them because they were actually so supportive and loving and, and right, nurturing yeah, to me. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's just a thing that mm-hmm. happens on any writer's room when the assistant tries talking, you kind of don't want it to work out because you're just like, we got enough people talking. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. Anyway, so I was, I then again had the imposter syndrome of like, maybe I'm just not good at this because it's hard to pitch into this room. The minute I got to be a writer in a room, never again. Like, mm-hmm. I can pitch in a room easy. It was so much easier because I didn't have to censor myself so much and just think oh, right. i can only talk like once today like so i better make it good yeah, and then right. sometimes you say the thing that's way overthought and it's not on track but if you're just freely in the conversation right you're, you're a part easier. of it and that you need to do that at yes. the, you know otherwise it doesn't work and they listen more yeah. easily yeah. and you're just in the flow of what's happening you're not like trying to make that one great pitch and it never works yeah, that, how did that affect your your process then i mean having done all the stuff on your own and did it free it up it freed it up i learned so much from i mean i was around incredible writers my boss clyde phillips is brilliant and he his strengths that were my weaknesses became it's like michael jordan (laughs) like like Mm -hmm. i by writing with him that much and like seeing his writing and having to try to imitate it sometimes and this and that i i can't tell you like it it is because his visual writing was so powerful and so strong it's stuff i now teach in writing classes but like but like the ability to think about what's this really about and getting the heart of that and then showing that visually he's just he's a master and but then there were a lot of other masters like that went on and now they're all showrunners i mean yeah yeah uh, really incredible writers and they were so supportive and i learned so much about finding like, yeah, that's where the scene should go. So what's the, where is a way to go that you don't expect, but also feels as authentic mm-hmm. and always fighting to find that. And they always were so good at finding that. And I'd be like, oh, I thought of the obvious one, but like, I didn't <laughs> right. think of that yeah, one. Yeah. And that's a bit, that's a scene. That's great scene. Being around them all the time and hearing them pitch was invaluable. Right. How did that uh, flow into producing like good jumping into being a, a writer then and then and then, and then i mean after you wrote for nurse jackie then yeah. you, you I, I only got i got a story credit on nurse jackie the yeah. final that was my third year being assistant mm-hmm. and then i got to be a writer for the first time on feed the beast with which was wild because again suddenly i went from like putting up scenes with actors in acting class who were you know some of them were actually like legit like kind of known actors but still i'm suddenly like on set, on Feed the Beast, I actually did get to be on set, which is a thing involved in this strike, which we'll, if we want to ever yeah, talk about that, but like, but like, swing you know, there. I got to do, that was when we would write half the season, Clyde did it that way, we'd write, it's really changed since then, but we'd write half the season and then we'd start shooting and he'd sort of pop in between the room and the, 
thing and you'd look over, you'd be supervising your own episode. And and the idea behind that was it was stressful because there's a lot going on at the same time, but it was cool in that you'd see it. And so if some actor was really popping or something was really working and we saw it, you could adjust the writing as you got Mm -hmm. to the end of the season to adjust that. That was the idea behind it. And so I got to be on set like I was literally exchanging like the things I would do in acting class. Now, like a few years later, I was with David Schwimmer and I was like, I was like, do you think the scene could go? It was so crazy. He was so nice. I will be on the record. He was lovely. But yeah, I, I talk to Zach sometimes. It's it's those moments every once in a while that you're in them and then you step back in your mind going, yeah. I'm in this situation that uh, two years two ago. Two years ago, I would have lived. Yeah. 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 And then you go back to it. But then you're also in the like, you're doing, you're saying the same thing. You're not that different a person. No, exactly. Yeah. It, 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 you realize how normal it is. And be yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i've i've had those moments this weekend you know because i've i've podcasted since 2007 like this is not a new process for me yeah with the goal always being that i could have something that people actually would want to listen to you know and we've talked several times this weekend just about how you know sitting down and doing this and, and having actual conversations with people and then i'm looking across the table at some of the people we're lucky enough to have conversations going huh I would not have expected this a year ago. This is, you know, but if you don't expect it also, it makes it a little bit easier to deal with, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so you're not, and I'm, I'm lucky I'm coming out and meeting Tony's friends. Like it's not like I'm having to uh, do this on my own and and deal with people that I've seen on TV in a weird environment, you know? So to me, it's comfortable. Yeah. That in of itself is comfortable because I'm just dealing with people and every problem is a people problem. Right. But at the same time, I have had those moments where I'm like, Oh, this is finally happening. Mm-hmm. You know, after how, how, I, the math, two thousand seven to twenty twenty three, it's a long process. You know, to finally get to a point where it's like, well, we might have an actual product here that's mm-hmm. valuable. Um, you know, up until and and then I go to bed tonight and I'll wake up tomorrow and be like, I don't know that I'm really <laughs> <laughs> oh, imposter syndrome again. You know, and then yep. I'll sit down, I'll set up the equipment, I'll start editing. And I'm like. Okay, we're good. We're yeah. good again. Yeah. When this gets out of my my friend circle, maybe I'll, I'll start feeling that. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's but 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 that's the nice thing for me is because I'm kind of feeding off of you, and that it's more comfortable for me because it's just you know it'd be no different than if you came and visited you mm-hmm. know back home yeah. and we're hanging out with my drinking buddies or whatever. Like to me, that's how it feels. So it helps. But I I definitely get that idea of just all of a sudden having that moment where you're just kind of like, huh. Oh, okay. All right. Life has led me here. Yep. Yep. Now let's get back to fucking work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, uh, feed the beast. So that was the first time where I was like, oh, like just because I was comfortable in the writer's room, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this can be a career for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that was the first time. (laughs) Right. And that's when it, that's when it, it, the first time. And it still wasn't easy. Like, yeah. We can, we can talk about it if you want, but, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause then there was the process of like, oh, like I'm only getting jobs through Clyde. Now there's the imposter syndrome of like, am I actually good? Or is it just because he likes me and I'm comfortable in rooms with him? Mm -hmm. Like, so then I had to go over that barrier. Mm -hmm. And there was a period where I was then, I had kids at this point and I was unemployed for 10 months straight and we were getting down to it. And I was like, oh, I was looking up the C best and I was like, I'm going to be teaching high school. Like, cause I do love teaching and I do love tutoring. Like I did it. And it's just the way the cookie crumbles, I guess. Cause like, I gotta, I can't just not support my family. <laughs> like I got, yeah, I got two kids now. That's not an option. 
And, Let's get the um, band back together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and during that time, another kind of synchronistic stuff happened. Um, during that time, I was like, well, at least I'll teach a writing class. And I had never, again, I had still at this point never written a script where they took it out and like some showrunner was like, oh, I love that script. I'm hiring you. Mm-hmm. It was still jobs through Clyde. So I still hadn't, I had one level of like, I'm comfortable in a writer's room. I know people like me in a writer's room and I do good work when I'm asked to write a script. Right. So I'm there. Still don't have a script that like I'm going out and getting jobs. Right. On. This isn't a story by Tony Saltzman. You know, it's, it's all your IP. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So at that point, I'm writing this, I'm doing this writing class and I was like, oh shit, okay, I want to do this writing class and uh, what am I going to teach them? <laughs> and I realized I had always, I, you know, I'd read Save the Cat before, you know, at some point, but I was really actually very resistant to reading stuff about how to, like, I was like, I know how to write. I've been writing since I was 16, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and figure out what to teach. I'm going to teach this class on writing a pilot like i gotta teach i gotta teach something and i watched all my favorites i watched actually from the incoming class i asked them their favorites i read wrote all of those and i thought about everything i'd learned in all my writers rooms and from all the writers brilliant writers i've been around and i started coming up with like a little bit of a curriculum right but really mostly that that first class was i would i taught like 10 questions to ask and I said, if you look at all your favorites, they're very interesting answers to those in their pilot. I was like, I'm going to teach, treat this as a, because I need a pilot that I can take out, right? And I, but I was literally at this point, like giving up. I was like, going to, I was going to. This, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and all in the past, I'd written a version of a pilot and then gotten notes from my friends and from Clyde and, from, and then had different thoughts. Oh, which direction? And had a lot of like, you know, a lot of struggle about like, oh, I'll try this direction. I'll try this direction. Does it, does it do people like this? Oh, this person likes this, but this person doesn't. And like, but once I taught that class and was like, this is, you know, to help guide you as a North Star. And I was writing my pilot in that class. That was the pilot that got me my first job. I was recommended by a friend from Feed the Beast, actually, but then I gave them that pilot that I hadn't shown anyone yet, right. which was crazy, but like, it, it felt like it was a good enough fit for the show it was, and I got hired on that job. And then I had like a good run since then of a lucky sort of things happened that I got from job to job for, right. for a while until the strike, yeah. So anyway... It's so like, that's, that was the final, that writing that really helped. That was like the final thing. Right. I'm mean, not that I don't still have imposter syndrome, but like, I was like, okay, now I got my own job through my own writing. Like that felt really good. Well, and you know, and even though it was a, you, you got it from somebody else. I mean, that's kind of the way the beast works. I mean, you, you yeah. make relationships, you make, you know, that's any job. It's like, you, you know, you have to be willing to, to not take advantage of, but welcome. You know, people giving you, you're like, hey, I think you'd be good for well, this. Nobody, this. nobody, whatever, what somebody says, very few of anybody is self-made. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I think it's partly the fear thing. You want to just write it in your own room and not have anything and then just be like, you're brilliant. But there's also, I, I also, there's a meritocracy thing Like you want people to get it from being great writers. The uh-huh. thing is that there's, it's a combo because even if you've written a great pilot, you don't know, like that could have taken that person 10 years. It could be a story so specific to them. You don't know how they're going to be in a writer's room. Like that doesn't, it doesn't always equate. Sometimes it does. And, you know, 
but that person may be a brilliant writer and it wouldn't fit in that room per se. So there's, it's tricky. So it does help to have the person who says, I was in a writer's room with them. When you give them the assignment, right. they will get you that script. They'll know how to right. mimic your voice that you want. They'll know how to tell the story you want and mm -hmm. get it to you quickly and all of that. Like it does, it helps to have someone vouch you for you. Well, you may have a badass script and if it can't get to the right person, that doesn't make it not a badass script. Absolutely. You know, so it's like nobody wants to lose a buck. So but it's a crappy catch 22. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a, it's a really crappy catch 22. It's a flawed system that has existed for. It's tough. You know, a century. And <laughs> obviously, obviously there's like the, it benefits people who have enough money to like intern and be an assistant and make mm. a little money and yeah. da, 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 yeah. like, mm. and to get in the door as an assistant, all that. I'll go back to going into writer producer. Yes. How, how, how did the... it's not that it's just titles <laughs> because I was more writer producer in some respects. I mean, I was a big time on the last show I was on because I was the number two on that show. And so it was like, it was a real responsibility, <laughs> uh, which was again, scary and uncomfortable. But like on Feed the Beast, I got to supervise my own episode. But then there were shows where I was, you know, it's like your the title goes up as it's a hierarchy thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you're staff writer, then story editor, then executive story editor, then co-producer, then producer, then co-executive producer, then executive producer. So you just go up the rungs as you like go do keep getting jobs and go up but um i uh yeah as as a story editor i on feed the beast i actually got to be on set but as a co-producer i didn't so yeah right so yeah. It was, it's, I mean, it's kind I of a title people don't understand this i think it came it kind of got highlighted with what you know this 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 whole uh Alec baldwin thing of you know what's a producer right you know we know that that could be anything. anything you know i mean like for him it's like yeah i'll be in your I'll movie my credit but i want producer credit so i can get some back end on it you know and it has nothing to do with the day-to-day -day, he's right? not actually overseeing the day-to-day -day yeah, production exactly. that's or other people could be i'm a line producer and i have nothing to do with uh, you know I, i'm doing the bookkeeping you know it's it's so when somebody says the producers like we'll go to the strike that that's those are the money people those are the decision people those are when you think of a producer that's you know what we think of right you know we're like who who's producing this that's what we're you know right. what we're talking about and what everybody assumes when we say producer for these other titles it, it's not that okay so that that brings up a good point for for the people listening like if if it wasn't a bullshit title, like if, if you're talking about the actual job of a producer, what is that? Well, it depends. I mean, it's not a bullshit title to no, say no, a line. No, 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 I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to clarify. Like if you're a, a below the line type of producer, like if you are a line producer, that person is functionally producing the show as a uh, as their job. I mean, they're they're writing out the bells, making sure. Uh, comes in on budget. It comes in on budget and and hiring and all that. Yeah. For for the money people who that is the money people are the producers. Okay. But there are titles of producer that it, that's their job. And then there's you know co-producer. Uh, you know the, the writer who are just writers who yeah. are just writers and or depending on the on whether yeah. it's a movie 
somebody that they help you on set and they help make sure it's working right and and so it's it's a a kind of a misleading term because it's it's overused a little bit i mean it it loses its 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 power in our our lexicon to say you're a producer like then then which kind what what does that mean (laughs) and when i said when i said bullshit title it was it was about like the alec baldwin thing where it's like Call me a producer. Well, I mean, but by being called a producer, there's money involved in that. Money involved in that, and and yeah, yeah, he'll get money. But what? But what duty was he performing other than bringing his? And that that was my that was my point. So not the day to day, but I mean, he might have creative control. Control exactly. There might be some creative control, and because he is a producer, that also for him might be a form of remuneration. Like if they don't have a huge budget. They'll like he could say, well, yes, I will do it for a lower amount of money, but you have to make me a producer. So that's how I get paid. Right. Uh, that's that's that level of producer. Whereas we're going to be talking to some people that are line producers and, and completely different. I mean, right. he's he's more of a office worker. I mean, not in the sense of, you know, trying to diminish that job, but I mean, it's not, not at all because they all. can be, I mean, a great line producer. Yeah. I, it's, I it's, it, it, all right. They're very creative. I yeah. Mean, and, and they're so, invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting sets that work and how to like shoot the, the vision that the showrunner has, but keep it in budget and they're creative ways to do right. that. And, and without them, nothing flows. Uh, but very often not on set, you know, uh, you know, depending on which, uh, what the, for him, one of our friends, it's, it's, he's, he does a lot of it from home because it's a lot of the hiring, firing, booking type of stuff. And he rarely goes on set, but on other jobs, he will go on set because they, 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 he needs to see what's going on, yeah. mm-hmm. be able to do it. Right. Whereas, you know, the money people half the time, they're not even there. That's, you know, they, they, pro- they provided their service. Hundred percent, and then then that's that's you know they give notes. Also, there's those that give notes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. All important information to have because you know the other side of the humanity of this project is also kind of clarifying when someone has a thing that they do what that thing actually is. You know, that's that's important. And when you talk about yeah, who's your boss, showrunner, producer? That's the boss. Right. You know, which I guess we can kind of segue into. We're both on strike right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are like, well, what does that mean mm-hmm. for us to be on strike? Mm-hmm. And we are basically striking against the studios, the money people, not, you know, against a director or anything like that. Sure. We have our contracts with the money people. So the producers are organized in their own group and we're both, he's a writer's guild. I'm screen actors guild. And so we have to have contracts with them. Well, we demand contracts with them and then so you can speak to what you're looking for what what, what are the writers <laughs> looking for first of all i don't want to like because uh, i'm not going to be an expert on this uh <laughs> but some of the things are okay so there's been a shift as we all know it used to be broadcast tv 24 episodes of shows often there's been a Big move toward a lot of the hit shows are 10 episodes, mm-hmm. 8 episode seasons on streamers, mm-hmm. right? So it's a very different formula. So there are a couple of things. One is they used to pay residuals, which is if, so if your show does well and keeps airing on TV, you get paid a percentage, a small percentage, but a percentage of that money that keeps getting made. Well, yeah, because they're getting ad revenue. Because they keep getting paid. Yeah. So, so you get, you still get your little chunk. And uh, the streamers don't pay residuals. So, and they can 
people keep watching it years later or they'll sell it to another place and then it keeps getting watched and no one sees any money from that i have a good friend who worked on dexter new blood series with me and then worked on Dahmer right after that and i don't know the numbers because they don't share the numbers but Dahmer was a huge hit as was dexter new blood and he gets nice residuals from dexter new blood and doesn't get any on um so because Dahmer was on netflix and Dexter was on Showtime. Um, okay, so there's that. Then, because of the smaller, it's like these these like eight or ten episode runs. They're they're looking at like, do we really need a big writers room? Like it used to be, like you'd have ten writers in a room batting around, and you need that many to write twenty four episodes. You don't need that for an eight ten episode run necessarily. Um, I've worked. I've been really lucky to work with Clyde a lot, and he likes seven or eight writers in a room sometimes even nine he really advocates for writers he's a Mm -hmm. great advocate for writers and always says it's the cheapest money you can spend if the writing's good the rest often not that everything else is important the actors and directors but like it's just the base for everything right so it's it's like and it's cheap it's like one day on set is a million dollars or whatever it is it's a lot of money paying a writer to be on (laughs) paying one more writer is not that much money you know Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. one day on set so it's like spend that money and get good writing group and let me do this the way I want to do it. And they, to their credit, like the places have always agreed with them. Right. Um, uh, so, but there are lots of stories and, of them wanting to spend as little as possible on the writers. So, okay, we have our showrunner. We have uh, the cre- showrunner creator. We have, let's get them have a couple other writers and try to, try to see if they, just the three of them or the mm-hmm. four of them mm-hmm. can like knock out eight episodes or ten episodes. And they're going to work really hard, but, but okay. But, but yeah, we won't be spending all that uh, salaries on other people. And they'll work harder and make less money. I say salary. Awesome. And so, I mean, again, writers, I will always say like get paid well. Uh, the, The issue is, and that's because our union has always been a good union. Like they've always fought for everything. And so that's why we get paid well, I think. With that said, like, yeah, if there are only three or four writers in a room, then they're obviously going to choose writers that are experienced. So now suddenly, how does a young writer get into this business and have the experience I had of being like going from staff writer to this, to that, to that, you know, and working their way up and learning if there's no job for you. So that was a big part. And that's why, and it's a big sticking point is this minimum room thing, because I am pretty clear that it's because the viability of this as a career so that young writers can that can we can keep this process moving forward of writers learning and i think they offer something like well we'll do an internship and it's like ah, it's not the same right it's not it's not but we had a system in place that's worked a branch of that also is when you're doing 26 episodes that's several months of work it's a year so, of work yeah, yeah. It's, well i mean yeah. almost a year of work yeah. i mean and so when writers we're on a show, you were good for that year. Yeah. But if you're only doing nine episodes and it might come back, it might not come back. Yep. So do you go to an, do you go to another show if you can? Oh, and or, it's usually and like a year between. Yeah. So, and you might so you're not going to be work for a year. No, you can't do that. So right. you, you, it has, it is become a job where like you're on for four, five, six months, uh, probably five. And then you have to look for your next job. Right. So it's really but challenging. On the other hand, so unstable. They want you back the next 
if, if they can, they're like, oh, well, you're not free. How are you not free? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually you can usually I my experience has been they that when push comes to shove, like you can. I don't know. You usually can go they and you kind of have to clear it with the showrunner and the showrunners. We're all friends, so they get it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Of course, you can't just. But it is a deal. Yes, yeah. It, it, a deal. It, it is different yeah. than it used to be. Yes. Right. Well, and, you know, the streaming. Could you imagine 20 years ago, an NBC show? finishing its season in you know late march or something and then being like well we're not coming back for two years right like Mm -hmm. that's that is not a thing people would have lost their minds and now with streaming it's like hey when did the witcher end i don't know like three years ago oh we'll bring out season two here in another six months right like yeah it's just it's an insane but it's just accepted now and Mm -hmm. it's like I can't, you, you can't sustain yourself and your family on a job, maybe coming back next year, maybe coming right. back three years from now. You know, right. that's insane. Right. I'm, I'm going to touch a little bit on what we yeah. are. are, yeah, are well, before, please, before please, you go too much further, uh, what about AI? Is that a, is yeah. that a, well, a point in the. Sure. Because, um, you know, I, I'm still not. Yes. Because my. And this is, I, I don't, I'll speak for myself. I think it's a concern people have. Like, AI can't write scripts that are great yet. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you feed them all the best scripts, can they do mashups of different scripts and pull out something decent? Decent. And that's my thing. Is it, it, In, like, three or four years, will they start being able to put out something decent that, like, kind of works? But even if it just kind of works and, 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 by the way, they can already, I feel like, do plot lines and stuff, like, and right. give you, like, your... 10 different ideas for the plot line for your the law and order season whatever um then could you just have two writers in a room and an ai and massage it yeah yeah and the, and, the, and the writers can make it more human and real and better and mm. but you get plot lines and you get some ideas and scenes and stuff from from an ai machine now you're taking what was already shrinking yep. like now you have like oh you only need like two writers in an ai machine room on top of that for most shows where, maybe, for and shows. i think chelsea handler is 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 dealing with some of this is what you fed into that machine is already somebody else's someone IP. else's ideas right or, and yeah. and so they're not getting anything yep. for training this yep. machine right yeah. Well, and is that is that one of the items being negotiated yes. on as part mm-hmm. of the, yep. okay that that was and, and we're in a similar uh, situation where, uh, at least on the AI, the AI is is a concern, but not as much as it is for the writers right now, because what they want to do and have done is like they've scanned uh, background people, mm-hmm. background ap- actors uh, up till now without their knowledge of what it was going to be used for. Uh, background people don't have nearly the protections that, that, that you know, the lead, uh, lead actors uh, would and they scan them so that they can use them and they digitize them and then they just put them into scenes. Right. You know, it's not going to work for a procedural. I mean, you're not going to have fake people walking back and forth, but yet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean but, and, and this goes to what you were saying about writing a script. I, I, I read somewhere where they tried to uh, fed in all of George R. R. Martin's uh, work to see if they could finish the last two books. And it did a real good job of bringing characters in and back and stuff like that. But what it didn't do well is like, it would never kill off a character. Mm. It doesn't know how to do 
what Martin is known for. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a very different story then. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the whole thing is, you know, these grisly ways of dying, nobody died, you know. And so it's the human concept of what makes this interesting. Also very bad at its hands. Very bad at the hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're, 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 I, that's why I have little less concern about them totally taking over. But I do understand the, you know, fewer writers. Uh, we, writers. Yeah, we'll get we'll get the storyline and then we'll massage right. it and yeah, humanize so it. It's just to like speed the process. Right. Up. And but for us, the, our bigger, bigger thing is what you were talking about before is the streamers. Because when we do episodic TV, normally we like much like Tony or a movie, anytime it's shown on TV, we get money. You mm -hmm. know, we get a share of, of, of what it made on ad, ad revenue. We get zero for when it's on Netflix and more people are watching it than were before. Uh, anecdotally, there's uh, uh, an actress that was on uh, Orange is the New Black, you know, and you she goes and she's in New York and she's people know who she is. Mm -hmm. She gets a, maybe a 10 cent residual check. She's not making any more money off of Orange is the New Black, period. Mm -hmm. the, the producers are mm -hmm. there. And, and, you know, it's her work. It's the writer's work. It's, it's, you know, the producers are entitled to make money off of what they invested in. But, you know, the product is us. Our things are the product and we're not getting anything. And so that's the main sticking point for us is we need to have some sort. And they, like you said, they don't reveal the numbers. Mm -hmm. They will not tell you how many people eyeballs have been, you know, watching X, Y, or Z. It's, she said that uh, this this uh, actress from Orange Is the New Black said we were told at the time we had better numbers, bigger numbers than Game of Thrones. And it's, she's like, okay, well, where's my Game of Thrones money? Right. You know, and right. they they and she's looking for a part time job. Well, and and my other question is, you know, you you talked about uh, Showtime, you know. So Showtime also has a streaming service. Right. So the residuals probably only come from the cable viewings then, or does Showtime work something out? I, think, I don't know. It's, it's a different, it's a slightly different because that. Because I know I'm getting residuals for text. Exactly. I, it, there's a difference between uh, say Showtime Cinemax uh, and HBO because they're producing those. Right. But they're probably also still airing on the cable service. They too, are. But know, so. Uh, so and there is a difference between when Netflix picks up, say, something that I was on, you know, 10 years ago. That's different than in-house stuff that they've produced themselves. New stuff. Not much difference on Netflix, but HBO handles it differently. They, they actually handle it as if it were a first run. Uh, television event uh, whereas if like i was in documentary now when it was on ifc i got paid every time it was on ifc now that it's on uh netflix nothing right right uh because it wasn't there so they just bought the rights to be to air it sure and I think that's there's a slight difference there. Yeah, there's never a, a time when any industry is on strike that people are like, this is going to be great, mm. you know, because it's just such a you never know what's going to happen, you know, because you're dealing with basically you're arguing with people who want to make as much money as they possibly can, most likely at the detriment of the people who work for them, you know, because a, a, a business. Yes, does not want to lose money. 
And, you know, constantly people are like, well, why don't they just, you know, make less money and give it to other people? It's like, how long have you been on this planet? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that'd be great and stuff, but that's just not the way it works. So, you know, how, how long and hard fought? I mean, what, it's going to be a while. Yeah, I was going to say, what are, what are your predictions? How long uh, this drags my, on? I would, it's hard to say. I mean, it's, it is hard to say, but from what we've been hearing from the producer's end of things, I mean, there were statements to the effect of, well, we'll wait it out so some of them start losing their houses. So they're, they, they, they're, they're making money. They, yeah. They're still making money. Yeah. As long as you're watching Netflix, they're making money. You know, so they're not, uh, it, it's going to be more of a, a, a public thing of what's, what's the public want, I feel. So uh, the public will need to put pressure on right. the producers. And, and, yeah. and I think initially people were like, well, who wants to, who cares if, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is not making $5 million. I think we've been pretty good at knowing, putting it out there that it's about me and Tony who are just, you know, paying off our houses in, in uh, suburbs, you know, and that, that helps. Uh, of course, they've done themselves no favors by making some statements that, you know, you know, saying, well, we, we can't afford it on their yachts. You know, <laughs> we can't afford to give them more money. I have to water seal this thing. It's four stories <laughs> right, for crying right. out loud. Yeah. You know, and, and it's tough because I don't think I mean, it's easy for me to to have some empathy because like I know you and I know some of your friends and like. And now I know Tony and, you know, like things like that, you know, it's, it's easy for me to have some empathy because I can look at it from a business aspect and like a humanity aspect of like, you, you have to feed your families. You have, yeah, to, we have to have insurance, just a know, fucking job, uh, you, know. you know? And, but I think the further you get from either coast, um, you start losing that connect, you know? Um, and people are just like, why do they feel so bad? Well, I mean, Tony's an actor. He's obviously a millionaire. They just don't get it. They well, and, and, you know, today's political climate isn't, isn't help. doesn't help with <laughs> right. that, you know, so we're, we're already sni sniping at each other right. uh, as it is. So, you know, making that point to some people is harder. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I know that like if uh, I'm having a conversation back home and somehow it comes up, yeah, my buddy Tony is an actor in LA and that you can just tell that people assume a lot of things that just are not true. Yeah. There's know? that stat that like 87% of actors can't pay the, they don't make $40,000 a year yeah. to then pay for yeah, to get insurance, insurance. Right. Yeah, to, to be qualified for insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's, so it's, yeah. And we don't live in a cheap town. Either, yeah. So, well, and, you know. and I don't think that the, that the the average person understands that there are you know there's pensions and retirements and and health insurance down the line that come into play. Like it, these are unions, and they're 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 negotiating for the things that all other unions negotiate for. And you know, while someone will go to a movie and enjoy it and spend twenty dollars for a ticket. Then they get mad because their movies aren't being made because somebody wants to be able to rent their house. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. You know, like house. It, it's, it, but it's that disconnect of, you know, middle America, not just not even understanding the way it works. So hopefully something like this will help educate people a little bit because it's just people just don't know, you know, and you don't know what you don't know. So figuring out a way to communicate that to people so that they can put some pressure on the money guys and say, Hey, look, we, we're not going to go see your product unless you make it right. You know, um, would be ideal. Well, it's interesting. Cause, yeah. I, I asked that very early on. I was like, why are we not calling for a boycott? And I guess 
I guess we don't do it because it would hurt ourselves to some degree. You mean a boy boycott of the streamers? Yeah. I, yeah. I do. I mean, I, I, if somebody asked me what from the what first I day, I was no, saying, I, I was thinking and that I think there, for some people, there is still a misconception that if we call for a boycott, that somehow that's going to affect our bottom line. But we're not getting any residuals as it is. So it's not going to, you know, it's like if if we were getting money from Netflix and we said, don't do it to Netflix, yeah. then that would be a different I thing. I wonder why our guilds don't ask for that. Well, I, there's got to be a reason. Has been one, of, if, one of the more forward people of like, well, let's get this fixed. Yeah. As opposed to the, the big studios. Yeah, yeah, because, you know... Honestly, they're hungry for content you know? and honestly being on the outside of it calling for a boycott i don't think you would get nearly enough people to boycott to have it have the impact it would need to have because most people are just gonna be like no that's the only place my kid watched bluey man like <laughs> like, like how am i gonna I shut think that even off? though i think even if you got five or ten percent of people to boycott it would have mm-hmm. a big effect i agree i agree i think there's some reason i tr- maybe it's silly but i don't think it's silly actually i i trust i always have really liked uh, I don't know. I've had trust in the union. Every time I've heard the leaders of our union like speak and they're doing like a lot of them are doing it not as a job. Like they're doing it for the, cause they believe the in union. Yeah, yeah. And they're smart, man. They're like, usually yeah. they're writers and lawyers and stuff like that. And they're well, smart. And, and this and, is the first time in like two decades that both guilds are, are yeah, so clearly something's going right. on. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, the directors were on strike for like a day. A day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to, you know, give them a hard time. I think part of it is because there's some producers in the Directors Guild as well. So it, it, it helps them. Uh, but their demands are different. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it, they, they have a different thing. But it was I was it was really I was like, OK, this is it. Directors, writers and, and actors all, you know, it would be weird not. And it's really important to say the brunt. I mean, not that actors aren't taking brunt and writers, but like the real brunt 100%. is like below the line, like mm-hmm. the production designers, the makeup people, wardrobe, hair, wardrobe, all that. 100%. Because they are not as used. To, I mean, I feel like, I mean, they also have the un- unstable job, but I think they tend to go more like job to job a little bit easier than writers sometimes. So, and they're not paid as much when they do that job. Right. So they need that work more than and, anyone. And they don't get the residuals we get. They don't get any yes, of these other right. things. So the benefits that we're going to get out of this, yeah. they're not going to see not it. They're not seeing any of that. And so, you know, I, same, I feel it's completely so terrible for my friends that are, are, are production people because they, they have, they have nothing to say or do in the process right now. They're just kind of at the mercy of of when this gets decided. hundred percent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's another thing. I'm glad you brought it up because I think that's another thing people don't think about it. I think on the, the, the last writer strike, I I think uh, Jimmy Fallon kind of mentioned it and, and pointed out he like, he paid his writers for a while. Well, that's what they're doing with their podcast this time around. All five of the late night hosts are having a, a joint podcast. Oh. And all the money is going to go to their production people. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. It's yeah. important. Like, it's, it's a really brutal. Um, I also just like, uh, to your point about saying like, you know, this is how business works. Like, you know, people want, they want as much as they can get. Mm-hmm. And then until that becomes a problem and then they'll give in like, right. right. So that's what this strike is right. ultimately. And then I just, uh, it it's worth saying that, these are like these Netflix and thing, you know, Disney, like these are huge corporations with stocks. And so they're, 
what we've unfortunately legislated in this country is like they are beholden to their stockholders to make mm -hmm. as much as they can. Mm -hmm. So it's almost their imperative to make as much as they can and cut costs as much as they can and not to like keep making good money, but to, it doesn't work. If you keep making the same, that doesn't help your stock prices. It's right. to keep going right. like almost exponentially. Make those margins up. greater and yeah. greater. Yeah. Keep going up with your profits. I mean, have you walked into a target lately? How many check lanes are there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's insane. It's a billion dollar company and you can't get anybody to help you because they want to make, they, they send everybody home so that they can make more money. And it, it's, it, it's the same idea. Like they've got their stockholders and they're going to just try to get as much profit yeah. as you can. Yep. It's sad. But like to I, I that wish end, it, it will affect the stockholders. Yes. If, if we're, if nothing is being made. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not going to make they any have money. To at some point. Yeah. They're change. not going to make any money. And, and, yeah. and that's why, you know, there's higher leverage on say Warner because they were yeah. already having some issues yeah. prior. Right. So they, you know, like Warner had has retooled and then gotten rid of a lot of, you know, projects. They I mean, they, they cut out several movies that were in the can almost. And so now they're going to have nothing. It, it, it will catch up to some of them, to some of them. Yeah. One, one other thought on the writer's deal. Feature writers have gotten fucked a lot um, because they, and I have friends who are feature writers where they wrote a thing, they got their script optioned. Okay. Now do rewrites and they have them doing rounds and rounds of rewrites for a year and they're not getting paid for that. Uh -huh. They get Whoa. the initial payment for the thing and rounds with the promise that, oh, and when we make it, then you'll get paid again. And then if sometimes there are the stories, there are plenty of them where they do rounds and rounds. So they're doing free work for a year and then they don't make the movie and they never got paid for any of it. You know so that's one of the also stipulations well, and, in the and in the new deal. To piggyback on that, there's they've they've gotten these deals where like uh, it happens a lot, like Lifetime. They will shoot it as a low budget, you know, and they'll and and the, so the producer gets the writers and the direct the director and the actors at a lower cost, and then they will sell it to Lifetime for a full price. <laughs> and for some reason, we. It, you don't it, see it, any nothing, of that. nothing happens about that. Yeah. When, when in theory, the contract says if it does get purchased, <laughs> that's when we get paid. Right. And <laughs> get your boy. Tony's cat is currently rubbing up against my microphone. Making love to the microphone. <laughs> uh, and I was going somewhere else with that. That uh, uh, I'm having a senior moment. Okay. We were talking about. Uh, <sighs> Never mind. I'll, the, I'll life, the lifetime thing. <laughs> well, we were talking about the lifetime thing, but I was trying to remember yeah. where that was going because yeah, yeah. there was there's another part of it that uh, like where they're trying to skirt around the the and what we I w wish we would have, and this is the big sticking point is they don't want to let anybody know the numbers for who's streaming, right? Who's, so how many the, eyeballs? The latest Writers Guild thing was that they, because they, so the, the producers had a media black, they called for a media blackout. They then, they then finally came with their first, first counter offer, mm -hmm. first proposal after our strike had been going on for three months. They hadn't met with us. Wow. They finally came with their first proposal. We then negotiated on that proposal. And I was getting really optimistic at this point. We negotiated on the proposal for like 10 days. And we'd come back with counter proposals and been talking these things through. They then released a proposal from 10 days earlier, their one proposal to the public. To the public. Oh. Thinking, oh, these numbers look good. It's going to turn the public 
against, against the, the writers. writers. Right. Dirty, dirty. But it pool. was like, you know, and some of their numbers, like, I don't know. I, you know, there's certain percentage raises on certain things on minimums. They look good. Like, they're, they're good. Yeah. If the only problem is, is like, that job might not even exist, also. Like, right. In a vacuum, it looks like yeah. those, are, those are nice those numbers. Those are nice numbers. Yeah. But if the jobs don't even exist, again, if we don't address the things about like having writers have a viable career at this thing, like, and chances for jobs, like. Because, like, for episodic uh, network and for commercials, there are clearinghouses that will track how many times something is played on network television. That's how we get our residuals. We don't have any way of tracking the. Oh yeah, that's so. Those that I was getting to with the contract. They did agree to share confidentially, which I think is a great idea of way to do that's it fine. and keep yeah. their you know secrecy around how well they're actually doing. Share confidentially with like six people at the guild, right? And that that was cool. I was like, great. Yeah. I, I would but be wait, fine with that. I'd be too. fine with that. It's but but wait. Else. And then and then three years from now, we can decide how we'd implement that to give you residuals. So they oh, weren't giving us anything. Oh, they were just like, offering to confidentially share some numbers with oh, us. Like, yeah. what does that do? Yeah, exactly. What is I mean, that? Like, yeah. And they're going to have to self-report. I mean, there's really no other way. Well, and that's what the clearinghouses are for. Is so they're not really self-reporting. It's like all this data goes to this clearinghouse so that we don't have it. They don't have it. The clearinghouse has it. And they don't tell anybody anything, but they do give you the money. But, but I mean, with, yeah. with television, you know when it's airing, you know, so it's a lot easier to track. Not necessarily, though. But I mean, it's it's airing. Yeah, but it could be airing somewhere in Europe, you know. Or right, but there's still there's still a, there's there's still it's still tracked like and not necessarily by the by the 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 production company or their channel. Like somebody's got a TV guide, you know, and it's like, hey, this is on at this time. So with with streaming, that doesn't happen at all yeah. because you don't know. I don't know when you're well, watching Emmanuel in space. I don't for, know when, for commercials. It's it's a, even they a bigger have thing. All the data, though. it's more more clear than ever. They have more I data. Mean, they, they know they exactly how long someone watched yeah, and all that. Yeah, they yeah, have yeah. it, but but you know, it's it's obviously easier. To, that's why they have to self report. They don't want to share it, yeah. but they don't want to share it because number one, they can say a show is X Y Z popular, and they don't have to prove it. Right. right. It helps again. It goes back to the to the share shareholders and the stocks. Like right. if if it looks like you're business isn't right which is a detriment actually to the shareholders too because yeah, the, the shareholders don't know what any more than we do what the actual numbers are well, and i think netflix saw a little bit of that too when they you know they kind of ran into trouble was it like a year or two ago when they weren't doing that great and they kind of overextended themselves and then they just kind of talked their way out of it <laughs> they're like yeah but we wednesday <laughs> wednesday look there's wednesday and then yeah. it's like oh they must be successful now and then it just kind of went away so i mean i you know, again, it's a good step. And it's exactly why, like, I was like, okay, good, good step. Okay. You're going to show us like some numbers. That's cool. And now like, let's, we have, we've had formulas for residuals. Like, you know, they'll figure it out. Like you can't just say, Oh, I mean, there are smart uh, money and, and, and accounting people that can figure, I mean, cause we figure it out. Like this show cost X amount of dollars and we paid this actors in it for, you know, the writer has this much input and every time it's shown, blah. I mean, I mean, I get it. Some people on on streaming are going to start a show, not finish it. So what does that. that count for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I get that. So, figure it yeah. out. Well, you can do a percentage of a percentage. You know, I mean, like well, if they would just give the numbers, if they would just reveal the numbers, 
the math would not be hard. I don't think so either. You know, so one guy watched it for five minutes, another watched the whole thing. You take five and add that together and then divide it by yeah. you know, how many people are in it. Yeah, yeah. We, weren't, we weren't asking for numbers. We were asking for residuals. Yeah, but I'm like, if they can come up with the numbers, then you can yeah. figure out yeah. the residuals. We'll figure that out. Pretty, I, I'm not even good at math. Yeah. And I, I kind of have a cursory idea of how you could do it. You know? oh, yeah. like, 100%. It's, it's insane. I, I'm still stuck on the the writing rewriting 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 that's, yeah for that's feature a, writers that's, and they that's they, a mess. they did do a sort of they did a give on that again it was it was there was some great writer released the press release for our re- re- rebuttal to their proposal or our response to that which they you know because they put into the media was like it's it was something like it's not nothing and it's not nearly enough so they did do a second step where there was like Meaning you get the option, you pay for that, but then you also have to pay for the rewrites. Rewrites, yeah. Um, but they only did it for original screenplays, not adapted screenplays. So it's like, okay, so you're halfway there. Give it. You have to give right. it for the I adapted. Mean, they're all working hard. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like Just it's because not it's more an adapted one, screenplay yeah. doesn't mean, it means it's they're not also doing the work. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, yeah it doesn't mean that they're gonna be any happier with the first with the rewrites and all that. Yeah. So yeah, you know, as a photographer, like it's pretty standard to just be like, all right, look, I'm gonna. You got ten images. And I'll, I'll do some basic like beauty edits to the images. And then uh, you can give me f- five requested additional edits. Anything past that, I'm going to have to start charging you more. I would think writing would, common sense would be kind of the same. Like, okay, I'll give you five rewrites, but then if you come back to me and want more rewrites, it's going to cost you money. Totally. You know, I mean, exactly. that's, that's yeah, think it'd be pretty I think simple. for you guys, yeah. it's, it's much more important because, I mean, yes, we have reshoots, but in general, you get paid for them. Co- we get paid for them and it costs a lot. So they don't want to do a ton. They don't want to do a yeah. lot of yeah. those, right? Yep. Unless you're but they can have someone because it's you know? no, it, yeah, it doesn't hurt them at all to just have you do rewrite after rewrite. Uh-huh. rewrite. Right. Just, just yeah. care, the carrot stick is just dangling along. If you don't like it, they'll just bring somebody else in to do the rewrites. You know, it's like shitty. Well, no, then they'd have to pay somebody if they did. Yeah. If they brought somebody else in, they're not going to do it for free. They know the person's going to want, they want that chance to have their movie get made. Right. So they're Mm -hmm. going to, they can Mm -hmm. just hold that carrot stick. Yeah. And sometimes there's no carrot. They just beat you with it. (laughs) You know, it sucks. Mm -hmm. And I think very few people realize how similar to any other industry it is. You know, yeah, there aren't eight year old kids working in a smelting room, but like still people deserve to be compensated for their work period like i don't know if there's any unreasonable statement being made there but yet meanwhile right i mean and and much like and that's the thing like uh, most every other job you are a key piece of how the money is made you know and i'm not going to argue that it's more in our industry but without a writer and actor right. you have you know without a story without actors you don't have product you know, we are the product essentially, you know, and it's, and and I'm not trying to be full of ourselves by saying that. And to have us be on the low end of what's, (laughs) what's being divvied out is, is, is somewhat distressing, especially when we're trying to make a living and and live in this town. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think of a, if a crankcase was sentient, <laughs> it would say the same thing. Like, I, you cannot make this vehicle without me. Like, mm-hmm. how, how dare you not pay me? Like, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, you talked about the extras being scanned. Um, without knowing why mm-hmm. they were being scanned, did they know they knew they were being scanned though? No, there's, there's, okay. they, they 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 did a body scan, a picture. They just yeah. went in and did a full scan. They weren't told why they were doing it. They just just go to the wardrobe and get scanned. 
it's not, and it, it wasn't in uh, any contract, right? That, uh, but you know, it was for perpetuity. Yeah, and it's like, and that's the problem with AI is this perpetuity thing is like, for actors, that's where AI comes in. Is like, okay, once you have my voice, say, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. and you say I have that, what can you do with that? Can you make me say things that I didn't say? Yes, uh, you know, yes, you can. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, easily. And that's a that's a big deal. Well, it's it's crazy to me. I think it even probably needs to go further than the entertainment industry. There needs to be some legislation about mm-hmm. owning you. You yeah. know, I mean, you know, it, it's not fair that Gal, you know, there's the Gal Gadot is being deep faked into sex scenes on Pornhub. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, like that shouldn't be happening. But currently there's nothing illegal about it, which is fucked up. Yeah. You know, and you also shouldn't be able to take a su- school superintendent and for shits and giggles say, you know, make them say that they're pro Nazi or whatever, you know, like all that stuff. And it's not. I mean, I suppose in that instance, you, you could maybe go for a, a libel clause or something, but because it's malicious. But other than that, no, like, I, you know, I agree that there needs to be a legislative part of this. I, I really do, because like I keep going back to IP. Yeah. But, I mean, corporations are fierce about their own IP. Right. Uh, you know, like don't touch yeah, our brains. Right. Good don't, point. Yeah, and they, and they will go after people like monsters. Yeah. And, but when it comes to us, well, th- this this is ours. This yes, is yes. Us. You, you you are, are your IP. Are IP. <laughs> you know, it's not like you know. I'm not going to go out and be my character. Maybe you have your eyes on uh, any projects or or any ideas that you want well, to start I, shooting I out was there? in I was in a writer's room. Uh, we were two weeks in when mm-hmm. the strike hit, uh, and it's a spinoff of Dexter. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. I also, not, I'll tell one last synchronistic story. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always edit if I've gone too long <laughs> no, here. No, you're good to go. Um, so that same girlfriend who told me you need to go to acting class had a friend in her building, Okay. And we all hung out and he was super, super cool guy. And we immediately clicked because we were both really into movies and music and, mm-hmm. and uh, plays and film and all of it. Right. And TV and all of it. And, uh, and we all, we, we remained friends and he became a director for Home Shopping Network. Mm-hmm. And, but like really rose up the ranks and like controlled, like he had like, employees under him and was like he was in charge of a division there you know right um as a creator director and i became a writer and i remember my first job on feed the beast i posted on facebook he was the first person who called me immediately like it was like like the next second and i hadn't talked to him in like a year you know right and he was like dude i'm just so happy for you and he'd had periods of time where he'd like early 20s where he'd want to be a writer and and had an agent he'd gotten that far Mm -hmm. and 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 I will preface this with saying he's like massively talented and brilliant to talk to. So this is also just a cool story of the meritocracy that does exist and dreams do come true in this business is that he quit his job at Home Shopping Network and told me I'm doing it because I want to finally, I've always wanted to be a writer and, and I'm going to do it. And of course, at that time I was like, dude, you're, you know, we're older now. Like, you know, I was, I was, I was, I guess like five years into my career or something. I'm like, it's not that easy and da, 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 da. And, um, then he sent me his pilot and I remember scrolling cause he's the funniest human being I've like ever met. He's like hilarious. I mean, his wit is just incredible. And, uh, I scrolled down just to see like what he'd sent 
and it was 60 pages. And I was like, oh, it's a drama? It's not a comedy? And I, like, I was like, ah, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, I read it, and I was like, holy fuck, this is, like, really good. But I always read things twice, so I'm like, now I'll read it again and really see what's really here, because I'm just sort of taking it in the first time. Right. I read it again, and I was like, shit, I have no notes. It's fucking brilliant. And I met with him, and um, we sat down, and he said, uh, you know, what do you think? And he, he still laughs this day. He was like, if you had said it sucked, like, I might not, you know, have done anything. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I was like, it's brilliant. You'll get it. I guarantee you will get work out of this. I guarantee you couldn't not. It's too good. It's so brilliant. And, you know, who knows? Like, maybe you could sell it. Saying that being like, you know, that I know how hard that is to come in having never worked in TV before. Right. He had, again, done, had managed people and, and things that I now realize really set him up for what he ended up doing. But uh, about six months later, he spent six months like shopping that around, like, you know, and about six months later, I happened, he, he called me up and was like, dude, I think it's happening. Like, I think we're going to sell this thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I met him. And he had got, uh, there was a bidding war started for nice. his show. Oh. And he got two seasons at Amazon for a show. And he'd never written before. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, uh, off of a pilot and a pitch. Now, again, now I've worked for him because my last job was, um, was working as the number two on them with him. Uh, season two of them on Amazon. And it is something I will shamelessly promote again and again because um, I think... I don't know. It's just the most, like, how do I explain it? It's the closest to, I've loved pretty much everything I worked on. I've actually really believed and loved like immensely. Um, I, it just, it just feels, it's, how do I explain it? It it feels less like TV than like a really interesting, weird independent movie when he does his work. Um, So it's the closest to like, when I first wanted to like, write. Right. It's like, it's like that kind of stuff for me. That's fantastic. Um, and the first season is on Amazon already, and it is a very hard watch, but brilliant. Um, I highly recommend checking it out. And it, it has something to say. It's meaningful, and it's dark, and it's weird, and it's fucking powerful um, and brilliantly done. Uh, and I am lucky enough to have gotten to be on the second season. It will come out in January, apparently, because of the strike. That's that's the new the new time period. But yeah, so... That is a guy who my old friend synchronistically sent me that pilot that got that got bought. him rolling and got him rolling. Like and then a year later, he was like, we're doing the second season. Are you available? And I said, and he, and he actually we had been working on an idea on the side a little bit. And he was like, oh, shit, you like are a good writer. And we work well together because, you know, we're friends. But yeah. how do you know? Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Um. So he took the game on me, and I, I thought it went really well. And we're we're uh, playing around with some stuff. So I'm hoping for something well, two we'll of us be, can do together. Uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's 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 always nice to to land on a positive after all the heavy strike talk and stuff. Right. Like right. It's, That's it's nice positive. to hear a happy story. Dreams do come true. Yeah, and benefited both of you, and you guys are having a blast. And man, I like Tony. I can't stress enough. Like how how much we appreciate you being able to come in and oh, share your story so with us and and really we now have an insight like into who you are and how that you know formed all the things that you've worked on that people have enjoyed and i i can't thank you enough just thank you for what you do thank you i appreciate that so much